a seven-year-old flower girl dressed like a princess on her aunt's wedding day, throwing rocks into the Long Island Sound. Hours later, her mother would be sitting on the roadside, holding her daughter's remains in her hands. How did this family, celebrating the start of a new chapter, cross paths with evil in one of the most horrifying events in New York history? This is the case of Katie Flynn. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode four of Crime Cave. I'm Christy, and this case has definitely remained on my short list of cases to get to. Uh, I knew it was going to be in my top five. Um, Well, when you hear it, you'll understand why. This is the case of Katie Flynn. Catherine Marie Flynn, known as Katie, was born November 14, 1997, and lived with her parents, Jennifer and Neil Flynn, and her three younger siblings in Lido Beach, New York. Katie loved the ocean and was especially excited to be a flower girl for her Aunt Lisa's beach wedding in Long Island in the summer of 2005. That July 2nd began as a perfect wedding day, and the happy couple Lisa and David had invited 200 close friends and relatives to gather on the beach to celebrate their new life together. Lisa would later say her fondest memory of that day was her nieces, Katie, and her five-year-old sister, Grace, in their white princess dresses, diligently sprinkling the rocks from their baskets into the water. While planning the festivities, Lisa and her husband-to-be were cognizant of the fact that they scheduled their big day on a major holiday weekend and made every effort to ensure no one would drink and drive after their wedding. They arranged a bus to take their guests back and forth from the hotel to the reception, blocked off a slew of rooms for people to stay in, and had limousines for parents and family. The limo driver that evening for Jennifer and her family was 59-year-old Stanley Rabinowitz of Farmingdale, New York. Born in Brooklyn on November 6, 1945, Stanley was a loving husband and father of two sons, Keith and Nolan. Keith said his dad was always proud of them no matter what, and that most of his happiness came from just watching them grow up, that he had so much unconditional love for his family and was known as Stanpa to his grandkids. For eight and a half years, Stanley was a devoted limo driver and was known to give impaired drivers free rides home. After a full day of celebration, the bride's parents, Christopher and Denise Tangney, rode with Jennifer and her family in the limousine. Jennifer sat facing the rear of the vehicle, buckled Grace in next to her, while Neil placed Katie on a bench seat across from Jennifer and seat belted her in. Tired from a long day of flower girl duties, both girls drifted off to sleep. With the limo in Stanley's trusted hands, the family rode along the Meadowbrook Parkway. Meanwhile, a 24-year-old man named Martin Hygen was also driving along Meadowbrook Parkway. However, Martin had consumed at least 14 drinks and was going 70 miles an hour down the wrong side of the highway for at least two miles. Suddenly, the limo came to an explosive, abrupt halt. Passengers went flying, and then everything stopped. 
It was described as a loud, incredible screeching, a kind of sizzling, like a hissing sound and smoke. Jennifer was the only one able to move around. She felt where her father's foot should have been, but it was missing. Jennifer's mother, Denise, was in a scary, unnatural position, clearly severely injured. Jennifer's husband, Neil, was trying to crawl out of the limo to get help despite his broken back. Five-year-old Grace was trapped inside and crying. But where was Katie? Despite her injured foot, Jennifer managed to climb out and start looking around the vehicle. After screaming repeatedly for her daughter, Jennifer returned to the wreckage and made a devastating discovery. Katie had been decapitated by her seatbelt. Michael Lurardi, an off-duty security officer returning home from work, was first on the scene, which he said looked like an explosion. As he approached the limo, he first noticed Stanley Rabinowitz. The entire front end of the limo was embedded in his chest. He had been killed instantly. Next to arrive was Lieutenant Michael Tangney, who happened to be the bride's uncle and who had attended the wedding just hours before. As he walked to the rear of the limousine, the first responder was coming away from it and warned him not to go back there, that it was bad. Lieutenant Tangney opened the rear door to the limo and realized it was his own family. They were piled on top of each other. Jennifer had walked to the side of the road and sat for about an hour with her daughter's head on her lap as she watched her family being cut out of the limousine. Lieutenant Tangney had to tell his niece that it was time to leave. He said, She very lucidly, very calmly, told me that she was not going anywhere. She wasn't leaving Kate. The rescuers finally convinced her to let go. Ultimately, 70 paramedics and police officers were called to the scene. One described feeling as if he was numb and about to collapse. He had looked into the mangled wreckage and saw Katie's headless remains wearing the white dress. Martin Hygen was arrested at the scene and transported to the hospital. He smelled of alcohol and was characterized as either unresponsive or incoherent by police officers and medical professionals. At the request of the state police, the emergency room nurse obtained a blood sample. Hygen's blood alcohol level was 0.28%, three and a half times the legal limit, and would ultimately face a rare second-degree depraved indifference murder charge. Depraved indifference is defined as engaging in conduct that creates an extreme risk of death to another person, showing an utter disregard for the value of human life, that they exhibit a willingness to act not because they intend to cause harm, but because they do not care if their actions will result in harm. During the trial in October of 2006, it was revealed that on July 2, 2005, Hygen had met a friend for drinks at a Manhattan bar at 4.30 p.m. When the friend left about three hours later, Hygen, who remained at the bar, had already consumed six beers. Later that night, between 11 p.m. and midnight, Hygen drove to a party at a friend's house in Merrick. He then proceeded to consume several additional alcoholic beverages and then left the party after about an hour and a half without saying goodbye. 
His group of friends had revealed that it was a well-known fact among their group that there would always be a place to stay or a designated driver available if necessary. And one friend testified that she had a specific conversation with Hygen to that effect about a week prior to the party. Dr. William Clausen, a forensic toxicologist, testified that the .28 reading meant that Hygen had approximately 14 drinks in his system at the time of the test, but gave a conservative estimate that Hygen had consumed at least 20 drinks in all. Now, initially, Hygen had told police that he had gotten into an argument over the phone with his ex-girlfriend in Arkansas and that he went into self-destruct mode. He stated that he was very upset and depressed and that he had consumed a fifth of old par scotch before going out and driving around. He also complained that he had financial problems and that everything was going wrong since he had moved to New York from Arkansas. He had also stated to the officers that his grandmother had recently passed away. However, a letter Hygen wrote to a friend from his prison cell explained that the statements he made to police were false. He had not spoken to his ex-girlfriend at all that night, and he did not have any financial problems. In fact, he pointed out that portions of his statement were actually lines from the movies Ocean's Eleven and Pulp Fiction. He admitted constructing this story in order to protect the hosts of the party and to portray himself as a person worthy of leniency. In February of 2007, Martin Hygen was convicted of two counts of second-degree depraved indifference murder. Before sentencing, Katie's mother, Jennifer Flynn, gave a riveting statement in court. This is merely an excerpt. I should not be dismissed as a grieving mother. What happened to me and my family should be known and should be given the weight it deserves. I sat with Kate's head on my lap and calmly told the officer that my life was over. I visited three hospitals a day, comforted my one-year-old, three-year-old, and five-year-old, and planned a wake and funeral mass alone. Our house was being renovated by my father, and the six of us had been staying at my parents' house. We spent four months living in one room, myself and the kids on the bed, Neil in the recliner, and Kate in a small cardboard box on a shelf in the closet next to my t-shirts. My marriage has suffered. He spent all day crying and drinking and all night staring at the television. There's no conversation that follows what happened to us. There is no subject worth talking about. So I don't. On what should have been Kate's eighth birthday, we brought Kate's ashes to the beach, sprinkling her in the ocean, a place that once brought her so much joy. Every day is a struggle. I can't get the door open to get air on my face fast enough struggle. If people knew this, would it make a difference in the way we punish drunk drivers? Although time will make us more resilient as we learn to live this new life, it will never be good. Martin Hygen was sentenced to a minimum of 18 years in prison. He appealed his case on November 21, 2013, but was denied. The Flynn family continues to try to move forward after their devastating loss. Jennifer and Neil can be seen in promotional videos for an anti-DUI campaign produced for the Governor's Traffic Safety Committee and New York State Broadcasters Association in 2010. This is one of their spots. I could smell smoke, and I could taste blood, and I could hear my wife screaming. Katie 
Katie's dead. Katie's dead. Every day, I live knowing that she's never coming back. Our lives were destroyed by the drunk who killed our daughter. We have to live every day with the weight of that crash. How will I live without Kate? Could you live with yourself if you murdered my daughter? Her parents' efforts resulted in the passage of an aggravated vehicular homicide law that finally gave prosecutors the ability to bring a B felony in terrible cases that would not support a murder charge and possibly receive up to 25 years of incarceration. Thanks for joining me. This episode of Crime Cave has been brought to you by Fortress Defense Consultants providing security consulting for educational institutions, corporate facilities, and houses of worship, as well as pepper spray, situational awareness, and defensive firearms training for police and private citizens. Find Fortress on the web at FortressDefense.com. Contact Fortress directly at 708-522-8060 or email them at info at FortressDefense.com. Avoid being the subject of a future episode of Crime Cave. Train with Fortress today. Until next time.